Guys, listen, I know what the answer is, though, to fix all these problems. You ready for it? I'm, I'm ready to hear it. <laughs> Everyone needs to buy an EV. <laughs> oh. yeah. And all of your money problems will go away. Hey, guys, welcome to episode 37 of the 1020 Diesel Shop Talk podcast. Um, today, we have uh, Joe with Performance Transmission Products. Performance Transmission Products and David with D&J Components to talk about transmissions, Maybe some supply chain issues, shortages of parts, um, inability to find raw materials. Um, anyway, this should be a fun episode. Hopefully we get to learn a lot, and we'll try to keep it as not political as possible. Maybe a little bit of political. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I want to start, uh, Joe, if you want to start introducing yourself, uh, talk a little bit about what it is that you do. Sure. Sure. My name is Joe Prather. We're from uh, Oklahoma, and uh, we basically sell uh, diesel, diesel performance products online, uh, specialized in helping uh, shops, really, uh, not so much for the do-it-yourselfer, but for the guys that maybe have built you know, one or two transmissions but wanted to venture out. That's what we like to do and, and really like to spend a lot of hands-on time with them if possible. Awesome. How much more in-depth do you want to go? <laughs> we can get more in-depth in a bit. Um David, okay. if you want to introduce yourself and what, what it is you do, an overview. Uh, I'm the owner of DNJ Components. Uh, we're based in Walnut Grove, Missouri, kind of like uh, Mayberry, just a little bitty town here. Uh, we make uh, diesel Dodge transmission parts and also do performance, mainly performance uh, transmissions in-house. Awesome. Um, mainly for diesels or for gas and diesel? <clears throat> That both of those are what we do: diesel performance transmissions and uh, drag racing type ultra four stuff. Awesome, fast stuff. Stuff we don't have up here. Fast stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Alaska parts. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to talk about is um, is components because it seems like components for transmissions are one of the biggest issues we're seeing. Like. Any, most of the transmission builders that we deal with, and I guess I'm not totally sure in the shop what problems you guys are seeing, but like getting prop, you know, parts for converters and whatever is becoming quite difficult. So David, from the, like the manufacturing side, um, what kind of, what are the biggest issues you guys are seeing with um, the supply chain right now? Um, I don't know how detailed you may get, so I'll, I'll go as detailed as you want and, or as I want, and then you edit out what uh what you don't want there how about that go for it so really for me i've seen us headed in the direction that we were going for probably the last year and a half and a year and a half ago i could make one phone call for anything that i wanted whether it was raw materials or transmission parts or whatever it was typically would have it on transmission parts almost always the next day two days max aluminum maybe depending on what day of the week it was, maybe three, four days, and I would have whatever we needed for material here. Then we went from that to I would have to make four or five phone calls to get transmission parts here and pay freight from nine different places, probably exaggerating a little bit, but that's pretty close to where it came, you know, where we went. Uh, Then the aluminum went from me being able to get as much material that I wanted to pay for to being a suppliers were starting to not have as much product. So I would have to call two or three suppliers to be able to get enough material to run for a month instead of calling one place. And so I'm having to re, you know, 
start branching out, getting further and further and further away from home and having stuff shipped in here from further away, paying higher freight costs, but we were still able to get it. Then just about a year ago, I hired a guy full time to do nothing but chase transmission parts. He sits in front of a computer, bills out jobs and tries to find transmission parts because we can no longer get them from one place. Uh, Joe does a phenomenal job and we love Joe to death here. He works hard for everybody. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is he's one guy and he works hard. He's got a family that he needs to take care of. And so used to, I used to lean on Joe a lot, but when I hired Chris to run those, you know, to chase parts, then we had to go to other vendors, go to other places. Um, I'll just use one part as an example because I've done some math on it. And to talk about transmissions for a second, frictions for Turbo 400s have gone up 250% in the last year. Just those frictions that we use for Turbo 400s. And actually, the frictions that we were using, is they're not even available anymore. We're having to use a substitute friction. And it's 250% over what we were paying um, just a year ago. Aluminum pricing in the last... Really, it went up. It's been going up a little bit over the last two years. I went and looked at what we were paying two years ago, 18 months ago, 12 months ago, six months ago, and now the last, really last year has really just went soared almost straight up. We went from the raw plate material when we first started buying it, it was about $46, $47 per plate to machine a billet channel plate from. Now I may have to pay $117 to $125 for that same piece. That's a 150% increase from where we were at two years ago. Yeah. And like I said, last really the last year is where all that stuff has really just soared. I buy material from Texas now, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, um, northern Minnesota, uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Oklahoma City, anywhere I can get material, I'm happy to have it shipped in. Well, there's another side of that too. I can no longer buy 400 plates at a time, which is what we can run a month. We can run 400 channel plates a month, but I can't get anyone to ship me 400 channel plates a month. They'll tell me that they have it, hit our credit card for the material, and then we get half a PO four weeks later. Mm. Well, by the time that I got the material, it's already two weeks further than it was supposed to be half the PO shows up, the other half's back ordered. So now I'm only able to run 200 plates. I'm already back ordered on parts from for suppliers that are wanting them. And then I don't, I can't get any more material for another three or four weeks. So I call another vendor, try to get smaller orders. I can process small orders, 50 pieces of pre-cut material at a time. And I can have 50 plates every two weeks. If I try to order a hundred plates, They'll send me 50 and it'll be two weeks before I get the other 50. It's almost as if somebody somewhere is intentionally only letting us do or tr- we can't grow. We're, we're, we're being forced down, 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 down. That's almost how it feels. That's probably not reality. It's probably the fact that I had a lady in Minnesota explain this to me, probably the best that I've ever heard anyone. She said that this really started back whenever we signed the NAFTA free trade agreement. She said when we did that, almost all of the um, people in North America that manufactured raw materials left the country. They went to Mexico and they've done all these other things. Well, that only leaves three manufacturers in this continent. When I say continent, I mean Canada, 
and all of North America, South America, Mexico, there's only three left. There's only three foundries that makes aluminum in this continent. Well, we were buying material from all these other places, South Africa, Asia, all these other places. Well, now then, for whatever reason, because of supply chain problems, nothing's coming in. So now I'm fighting with Ford that's building trucks out of aluminum for material to make channel plates for Dodge transmissions. Yeah. So it just become to where the foundries that we have, I really don't feel like they have enough manpower or raw minerals to even make what what we're consuming um i'm trying really hard here to not be political or to get into any <laughs> so, i'm not um, i'm not censoring you you can you can say whatever you want <laughs> no zucking um, i uh rising fuel cost all this stuff matters you know everything that everything that we're dealing with right now and the the amount of inflation that we're seeing is going to, in the, at the end product, really hurt the consumer. And then they're struggling already because the money that they were making isn't, it's not the same as it was two months ago. I was just talking to a guy on, on Messenger, one of my customers that was asking me about a 400 that we're working on here for him. And this isn't just me that's having this problem. There's other companies that makes close ratio planetaries for 400s, for example. And I won't say who they are because I don't want... I don't really feel like I heck I can speak for them publicly, but um, we order planets from them. Used to take a couple weeks, and we would have them. I've ordered two sets of planets for two different transmissions. One to just put on the, I guess actually three sets of planets. So we're going to put one on the shelf, build these two transmissions for these guys. They were when we ordered them was four weeks on back order. They were thirty six hundred dollars. Well, by the time they got here, they were sixteen weeks before they showed up, and they were. $4,300 or no longer $3,600. Well, now then I bid a job. I have to tell the customer that their job now, by the time that it's done, is a thousand dollars more than what it was before. And before it was expensive, right. you know, some people don't care, but most people do. They have a budget. I was at the drag strip last night and there's a ton of people that don't have motors this year that are waiting on rocker arms, heads, crankshafts. This isn't just m- my problem. You know, this is, I feel, I feel like all of our problems, Robert had messaged me last week. I seriously have been in tears over the stuff that's gone on. It's the hardest thing in the world as a business owner to raise your prices for fear of losing your customers, number one. And then if I lose my customers, I've got nine families that's counting on paychecks every two weeks. You know, so you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose the customers because you need to make sure that you can keep your employees, families taken care of. I, this is a mess, guys. I don't. I don't think that it's going to be anything that's going to get fixed soon. I think that we are all in it together. We all need to work together. Everybody's going to have to be patient, but I don't know where this road's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we've got, you know, the, the doom of like, oh, there's even going to be food shortages and everything too. It's like, well, how much, how much is there going to be care for the, uh, you know, the automotive industry when people are worried about their food? Like, and and the fact that the dollar is worth nothing. Like, I sent Joe a, a, a little um, article the other night that was talking just about Russia, you know, because we're, we're supposedly at war with Russia or whatever, and we've shut off sanctions to them. Well, because the United Nations, Russia shut off sanctions to all these other countries. Russia, I don't know how many people know this, but 100 percent 
of titanium that, that's used all over the world comes out of Russia. Number one importer to this country of nickel ore is Russia. Number two importer of iron ore into this country is Russia. They're the 14th, number 14 on the on the list of people that um, the entire globe gets wheat from. The entire continent of Africa gets 47% of their wheat from Russia. They're not sending any of this stuff out. There's no what we're dealing with is tough, but in the end, there's going to be famine in that country. People are going to die because of what's going on. Mm-hmm. We will probably get through it. We're we're first world. These are first world problems, but in third world countries, there's going to be lots and lots of people that suffer way worse than we will. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep my head up and be positive, but there's going to be a lot of hurt people before this all comes to an end, if it ever does. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the the supply issues. Like I know for us, like trying trying to deal with how to handle pricing on stuff that might take six months to be able to fulfill an order on uh, is, is hard. And then, you know, same thing, like some of the transmission builders that, that, you know, we use are like, well, you know, four or five months, we can hopefully get a transmission. That's hopefully it's like, well, how do I sell a transmission to somebody and say, well, <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be, you know, a couple months. Um, but a lot can change in a couple months. And so there's no way to predict, you know, what the future is going to look like. And like you said, you know, generally like a lot of people are okay with that, like wait times or the price changing, but you know, the financial situation of someone who may have bought, you know, a transmission now may be different in four months. And right. yeah, no, it's, that's a, I don't know how to navigate that very well. It's becoming more and more of a problem like every day. I, the bigger companies like Borg Warner, I use them for an example. We use a lot of their 4L60E, 4L80, the late EPC solenoids in one of our parts. Um, Joe will probably back me on what I'm getting ready to say. And it's coming from the it's coming from them to the vendors. They're they're being told they can only sell two or two two of those solenoids a day to a customer. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I'm trying to put together governor pressure solenoids, for example, with those solenoids. We sell usually 300, 375 of those a month. You know, somewhere in between there, and I can have 60 solenoids. I can't eat <laughs> like that. Don't that ain't that don't work. You know, I can have 60 solenoids a month. And we usually sell 300 and at least 300 of them a month. You know, uh, the other side of it is, is whenever we were buying those, they were, you know, about half of what we're paying now for them. Yeah. You know, when we were, I don't know, it's a bad, it's going to be a bad deal. We, we're trying to figure out how to get around that. I, I feel like on that particular part, it would be smarter for me to sell that part to you guys without a solenoid in it. That way you can choose to get a solenoid from wherever you want out of a core, buy a new one from your suppliers. However, um, but the vendors that we sell to do not want to create another part number for a part that doesn't have a solenoid in it, right? You know, because they assume this is temporary. And I'm not so certain that it is. Yeah. I think we're going to have to start finding alternatives to a lot of things. I was, uh, I got a friend that lives in Utah and, uh, he uh, he works with a, a company that does retrofits on solar systems. They buy batteries. Um, they they do uh, like retrofit your cabin to run off solar or your RV, your trailer, whatever. And uh, the owner of that business was talking about buying batteries. Uh, he, I guess the only manufacturer for those batteries right now is in China. Mm-hmm. And right now, the minimum order is ten million dollars, and they're they're expected to pay for it up front. And there is a uh, a six month wait. So you're sitting on wow. $10 million out 
uh, and you're, you're not going to get any, any product to, you know, get a return on that investment for six months, which isn't a big deal for like Tesla, but <laughs> there's a lot right. of small companies that are built on, you know, I mean, the country really runs on small companies, like a dozen hundred employees. The backbone of America. Hurry. Yeah. 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 The country runs on us. It runs on you guys, small businesses, Joe, you know, us, it runs, it runs on small businesses. And if they crush us, I don't know what we're going to do that the country can't sustain. We're the ones that pay the taxes. Yep. So how about you, Joe? Do you have anything uplifting to add to the conversation? <laughs> uplifting? Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> uh, no, I can't add anything uplifting. I can't say that, it, you know, it looks like it's changed um, for the better, for sure. Uh, it is, it is. You know, one thing comes back in stock and you get excited and then you see five other things that went out. It's it's just a constant battle. It doesn't look like anything has gotten better at all. I hate to say that, but uh, I was actually talking to a guy about some converters just about an hour ago and he said he didn't have any 68 converters ready. And I'm like, I already need three or four right now. And he's like, well, it'll be five days out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, and, you know, it's, it's from billet covers that are hard to get. It's, it's the clutch linings. It's, I mean, it's, it's everything. There's not one thing. So that's, it's very frustrating, you know, when it's not one transmission, it's every transmission, you know, the only, the only good thing for our industry right now is, is because you can't buy a new car. People are fixing their old car. So which isn't good if you can't get parts to fix the old car. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's kept shops with cars there, but they can't necessarily get the parts. So it's, it's extremely frustrating. Um, and, and I, I feel sorry for everyone whether you own the business, whether you own the vehicle, uh, whether you're, you know, the guy delivering the parts, um, it's just, it's really bad because nobody's in a good mood right now. It's, it's extremely, it's almost depressing. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it, it really is, you know, you don't, you don't know what's in, what's in store. We know how it talks in the Bible and, you know, and how it's going to end, but right now it seems, uh, seems like there's not a lot of hope. So we just have to be careful what we focus on, I guess. Yeah. 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 And the, you know, the, the hard thing is too, like, you know, if you've got, you've got a work truck, like for us as a shop, like somebody brings us a truck and their DPF failed or something and they, you know, if it's a, if it's a truck they need to make money, it's like, well, if we can't get a DPF, we can't get a component to fix your truck. It's like, that's two businesses. We're not going to be able to make money. Absolutely. Because we can't fix your truck Absolutely. and you can't yeah, use your truck to make money. Your job. Shop and, yeah. 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 You can't, so essential you can't go back to work. Yeah. There's no essential employees anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. We got knocked down the knocked down the charge. Guys, listen, I know what the answer is though to fix all these problems. You ready for it? I'm I'm ready to hear it. <laughs> Everyone needs to buy an EV. Oh. Yeah. And all of your money problems will go away. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it on you, CNN and Fox. Cool. So you can believe it. Yeah. Eighty dollars a month. Comedy hour. Yeah. You won't have, yeah, you don't have to pay $5 a gallon for gas anymore. Just drop 80, 90 grand on a. Now, did you, did you guys, any of you read? Go ahead. I was just mouthing you. (laughs) Did any of you read the article on the, I guess they call it electric Duramax? Did you read that? No. Mm -mm. Okay. It was, I'll have to read it again, but it's something like he went to take a 10 or 12 hour trip, something like that. It may not have been that long. And it ended up taking them like 24 hours because they I had, think to start, he was pulling a trailer. Do what? I'm sorry. I think it was, it was supposed to be a five hour trip, Joe. Five hour trip. Okay. It ended up taking like 24 hours. Um, 
so many places they had to stop and charge. Several places didn't have places to charge. They had to backtrack. One place they couldn't find anything, had to plug it in somebody's house and had to spend the night because like our old house when we moved in, it's over 150 years old. It had a 100-amp service. That's all it had in the whole house. That's what it requires to recharge some of these vehicles. So most of these people running out saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy an electric car. Your house can't even sustain that. And we got asked last year during winter time to shut off some of our heaters because we're using or we're too much to struggle on the uh, electric grid. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with electric cars? You know, so and like he said, he said we had to stop. And he said, this is this is no way to, you know, to make a trip on a trailer or anything like that. So yeah. it was a complete bust. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's interesting future we have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have horses. I would choose a horse before I would ever choose an electric car. <laughs> electric vehicles are interesting. I, I, uh, the technology, you know I think, is cool, you know, but I don't think we're there yeah. yet. You know, I, I think there's a lot of no, work to be done no. to figure a lot of problems out before we Absolutely. Yeah. make that Absolutely. work. And and just like, oh, the, you know, the emissions on diesel systems, I, I feel like that was pushed upon the American people before the technology was really there, you know. Now we're, we're, we're it was able to... For, we're able to, to run these trucks with full emissions with minimal problems. But, you know, back in 2008, Correct. it was just a mess. Well, did you see, um, yeah, this is a terrible, did you see, I see if I find the article here, um, that California is sending like the DMV via or the car via the DMV is sending letters to people that have like 2008, was it 2008 to 2000, 2007 to 2009 yeah, two uh, diesels. Yeah that like you, you can't register them anymore. You have to retrofit like what a, a newer engine in them. It's like, well, this was oh, legal. Really? This was legal at the time. And uh, that's right. That'd be a lawsuit waiting to happen. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know if it will or not, but our shop truck that we have here is a 97 F two fifty, And I had it transported here from California because the people that owned it used it. They bought it new. They owned a pecan orchard and they used it from the time it was brand new, but it was sold smog, uh, omitted. It didn't have any smog system on it and they have to have them sniffed every year. Well, they deemed it unroadworthy. So they just used it on the pecan orchard to check fences and they showed up and sniffed their exhaust and told them they had to smash it or transport it out of the, out of the state. That's how I wound up. With the wow. Truck. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Pay me to live there. Let's say a lot of their big trucks. Now you can't drive in there. You can't run freight in and out of there unless it's what 13 and up truck with all the emissions intact. Isn't that correct? Something like that. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like we were buying, my dad buys and sells a lot of semis and stuff. And those trucks were easier to pick up like pre 13 because they didn't have that stuff on there. And a lot of guys couldn't run them over the road anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about happy stuff, David. When did you, when did you start uh, DNJ and did it start um, with like machining? Was it manufacturing? Was it just because you want to build transmissions? Like where did you start? So my grandpa started building transmissions in 1957 um, he taught all of his sons how to do that. Um, I have an uncle that works for Automatic Transmission Service Group, ATSG. He's still there, been there for, gosh, I don't know, 20 some years. Uh, my dad owns the largest retail uh, installation center in this region, uh, Mississippi West, 70 South. So the entire corner of the United States, he has the largest retail installation center here. I grew up in this industry. That's all I really know. And I worked for my dad for years and years and years. Um, I was the guy that always had to figure out how to make stuff work. So if there was problems that, you know, 
repetitive issues, you know, that's really how the DCF one, our governor pressured someone. That's how that come about because I, I stood at a bench at the time and built three of those transmissions a day before there was all these cool hard parts available and, you know, constantly having input shafts twisted off and all the neat stuff with the REs. And in the midst of that, you could put on three or four brand new governor pressure solenoids from Chrysler out of the box and they would all be jumped. And so we started working on trying to figure out how to get past that. My dad paid for the first 120 parts that we made. Uh, and then I turned around and patented that part. And that's kind of how DNJ started almost 14 years ago. And then I officially left my dad's transmission shop, I guess, permanently and started doing this full time 12 years ago. Locally, everybody is around here has always known me for performance stuff. You know, I, I built torque converters for eight years. Um, always was a guy that everybody in this area come to to have, you know, a, a performance transmission and converter done. So it, I kind of whenever I branched off on my own, it really wasn't hard for me to do. I was already that guy in the area. I paid another machine shop for almost seven years to make parts for us. Um, I bought, I told Robert that whenever he was here, I bought our first milling center almost nine years ago now. And when I got it here, I didn't know how to turn it on. I had to, I actually had to pay a guy to, to come here and show me how to start it and turn it on. So um, he helped me through all that uh, nights and weekends and um, figuring out how to make parts. I went to Gibbs Cam Training, met a really, really super good dude named Ben that has really been my saving grace ever since. He's, uh, I think of him like a brother. And when I get in a bind, I still, I still call him. Yeah. He's very helpful. But anyway, we bought the first machine. And about two years later, I bought this, I bought a second machine. It was, that's when we come out with the channel plate, just probably it was about when we come out with the channel plates, maybe six months later, I bought another machine. Um, we couldn't keep up. So I bought another machine. And then this last year I bought two brand new machines. So we have the ability to make, we started out. Do you remember Joe, how long it took me I'm, to make the, runtime on the first plates you probably have a better memory of that than i do gosh it seemed like it was two hours or something like that wasn't it I was like two hours two hours and 13 minutes something like that to make one plate yeah. you can make one now 38 minutes i can make a channel plate and put it in a box about every 38 minutes uh, just because we have so many machines and refined processes figured out what tools work better best coolant to use you know um, obviously I tell everybody running milling centers is almost like having a dirt track car. You run it into the corner as hard as you can until it could, it comes <laughs> over the cushion. And then whenever it goes over the cushion, you're like, okay, so that's the limit. I won't run it in that deep again, you know? So that's just kind of how <laughs> milling centers you just run it in as hard as you can. You start breaking stuff. You just back it off a little bit and run it right there. So it's probably not how they teach it in school, but it it's works. not how they teach it in school, but that's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, what what does your background look like? Have you always been in the automotive field? Have you been in transmissions and manufacturing? Like, what was your what was your background um, before um, performance transmission products? Well, I actually took uh, diesel in uh, diesel technology in Votech, and I'm kind of a smaller guy. Robert can attest to that. So I figured out real quick I I really didn't fit in working on those big trucks. You know, the starter was too much for me to lift and install. <laughs> so um, out of high school, I started working for a guy that did some performance engine stuff. And did that and had the opportunity to work on a couple friends of mine's transmissions. And 
about the same time my dad had gotten taken by a guy that built the transmission in his truck, and I kind of got interested in that, and uh, I just taught myself. I took them apart, put them back together enough, and you know that was 20-some years ago. Uh, about 98, I think we started a shop just out of a little pole barn, and uh, gosh, around 2001, I think we built a big shop and had five or six employees, and, and I really liked that. And, and uh, God changed my life about then, so we sold that business and did some other stuff, but we've always done transmissions up until around 2013 is where we really got into the diesel, the diesel performance side of it. Um, got hooked up with a shop kind of like you guys that had race trucks and stuff and got the opportunity to actually work on their trucks and try some stuff. And uh, they actually took us to the Nationals with them one year and we got to see all that in action. And then I think around, I'm about about dates, I think around 2018 or 19 is when I actually met David uh, through Facebook. And then we actually met in Tulsa, wasn't it, David, with Bud? Yep, and I hop. I think, yep, I hop. I think that's when we he has first started talking about the channel plate. And, uh, that's when I told you how to fix the switch valve problem on '68. So. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then we uh, got into with another guy or a gentleman approached me about doing some some kits, building some performance kits uh, for their company. So we kind of did that, and we all went to PRI and made some contacts and stuff. It, it didn't end up working out with that uh, company. So David uh, allowed us basically to buy in and sell his product at, you know, at a price that uh, was just like a huge manufacturer bill to buy it at. So it really helped us to get started. And then you know, late at night, I would, I would see these guys on uh, Facebook that could tell, you know, they were building transmissions that might have a little bit of problems with them. And I'd start helping them and teaching them and, and uh, start selling more and more parts and decided to shut down that I couldn't I couldn't build and I couldn't sell parts. And I like being with the guys in the shops and stuff more than I ever liked doing transmission work. So I stopped that and just took off on the parts side of it. And uh, the rest is history. I don't know how deep you want to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, just from my perspective, I don't, I know that I don't do, um, I haven't done any business with you. I know like our shop does and Robert does, but um, my perspective is that it seems like you're, you're really good at helping people find the things they need. And then like, uh, like you put on classes, you've done like transmission building classes. Um, and I think the last one was at DNJ, right? So you guys hosted the class there. So like, it seems like your main goal, it seems like your main goal is like education then like you're trying to help as many people as possible that are interested in learning about building transmissions, be good at it and then find the parts to do it. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, kind of. I, I really like to help the guys. I, I mean, it's like talking to Robert and you guys on the phone. I love that. This is awesome. And seeing you guys do something like your new shop you bought. I mean, that's so cool. But I mean, I've been a part of that, but I got to see you guys grow. You know, it's just, it's really a cool thing to me. And uh, it's, it's just nice. I really like to help people. So that's kind of a, a servant gift I have. But I love to, I'm probably, how would you describe it? I would say, um, I guess I'm your parts guy that you could say basically works for you i just kind of take out the the runaround and all the phone calls you just call me and say hey i need this and that's all you have to do and i just chase it down after that whether it's i make 10 phone calls or 20 phone calls mm-hmm. and that makes it a little bit easier but we do i do probably just as much tech during the day as i do finding and getting parts so yeah um is supply like the biggest issue that you see right now in this industry or is there, is there other things that you see that like that need to be touched on to improve um, the transmission or just auto industry? I'm not sure. I think everyone is experiencing um, a for one, a shortage in people. 
it seems like it's it's hard to get um, anyone that really wants to work right now. And and then you also at the same time that affects the parts side of it because whatever that company was manufacturing, whether it's a hamburger or whether it's a spark plug, you know, now their production's low. So then it you know it trickles on down to the rest of us. We see shortages in parts, um, limitations on what you can buy. Like David was saying, O2 solenoids. Um, it's not just that. It's several things where I was told the other day, you know, I could only buy, I think it was like seven overdrive clutches, or no, six overdrive clutches, I think, at a time for a 68. Well, the packs we have are either seven, what, seven, <laughs> seven or 14. So either way, I need more than that. So I have to finagle my way around uh, to allow me to be able to take care of my customers, you know. And it's like you guys, when you order stuff, it's never for usually one transmission at a time because of the freight you guys have to pay. Yeah. So you sit down and you say, okay, I need to order enough stuff to do two or three of these. Let's get it all coming. Okay. Well now I've got a problem with these guys saying, no, you can only do this. You can only do this. I'm like, that's not going to work for me. You know, these guys are dependent on it and they've got to have it. So yeah, it makes it a little challenging. Where, uh, where do you see this industry going in the next, you know, five, maybe 10 years? I have a hard time envisioning, you know, where, where is the industry going to be? You know, I will never say I had a guy too. And that was, gosh, that was probably 20 years ago that he said the transmission industry would be dead in 10 years. And I'll never believe that because first of all, we live in a small town and I mean, I, there are Teslas and stuff like that driving around, but there are also farm trucks that are, have been driving around their last leg to last 10 years. So to me, there'll always be that kind of work. Now, whether it's enough to sustain a big shop, probably not probably an individual guy that's, you know, got his stuff paid for and, and, you know, only wants to work so much a month. Absolutely. Uh, like David was saying, if it's getting hard to get materials already, six months, we're going to have trouble. It's not going to be five, 10 years. I think six, I think this next year is going to be extremely hard on us. I think next winter will be extremely hard on us with gas prices and propane. And I guess some people up North use some, they call it heating oil. I have no clue what it is but their price almost doubled on that. So just to heat their homes, it was just killing them. So I, I think everything is going to have a, a lot of effect on our industry in the next six, eight months. Um, David, did you design your channel plates? Like the, you design it, manufacture and sell them. It's like, yeah. do you have a, do you have a background in like engineering or was it just? No, I didn't even graduate high school, man. I, it's kind of, that's kind of funny because like, uh, I, whenever I was in elementary school, I had learning disabilities and was in LD class, didn't graduate high school, don't have an engineering degree. I've just always had a knack for figuring out how to fix problems. Um, I've always been really good with, with making things, drawing stuff. Um, I just kind of, an, I guess, natural at that stuff. So no, I, I don't have any kind of engineering background. Um, whenever we made the first channel plate, we actually, Joe actually tested it for me. Um, it's, it's, it's here in my office also. It's, <laughs> we finally put it back here on the shelf, but, uh, um, we drew every single line and it took us forever to do so. Um, tra- trace out circuits, eliminate the ones that wasn't needed. You know, um, we, when we first made the very first plate, we uh, we wanted obviously the shallower tracks was to eliminate runtime. I knew from building um, Chrysler transmissions nine hundred four seven twenty sevens 
the only reason that all those tracks was as deep as they was was to save on material because pennies make dollars when you're talking about mass production. So we just didn't know how shallow we could make them. Mm. So um, we originally made the first plate, the tracks are actually deeper in. And then we backed it up a little bit to see if it affected it any at all. And it did not affect it any at all. And that's just kind of where we stayed at. So Mm. uh, no, no engineering degree. I think it's awesome that like mo- almost all of the uh, the important people in any industry that I've met are like not at all like professionally trained. Like most of them aren't like most engineers. Like Vaughn, one of the one of the guys that works for us, um, is an incredible mind. Like for for electronics, for like software engineering, um, and like he didn't. You know, he started to go to college for it and decided not to, and he's absolutely brilliant just and it's just i don't know it makes me happy to see so many smart people especially as like one of the dumb people it's like i get to surround myself with incredibly smart people um and it makes me feel I, like i'm part of the club smart dusty um i tell most people i feel like temple grandin every day i a door open and i walk through it so <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't consider myself super smart and i tell most people if i can do this anyone can do this yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, that's yeah, not true, but he feels that way. <laughs> the, I, I feel like the times ahead are, are going to be even more critical to to have those innovators, those you know, absolutely critical thinkers, uh, come up with solutions to to problems that we're going to run into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, being able to to see you know a, a different way to do something, um, and then doing it, it you know, being able to to make those decisions is going to be pretty important. Um, my concern is, is that we don't have enough people, I guess, because I feel like I tell people all the time that I'm too dumb to quit. I'm more stubborn than I am smart. And I don't think there's very many people like that anymore. I don't think there's very many people that they're like, I'm just going to beat on this and I'm going to, I'm going to rack my brain on this until I figure it out because my little girls over here are hungry and I have to figure out how to feed them. And I just don't know if there's enough people anymore that have that mindset. Everything pushes for like a short attention span. Like um, oh, yeah. the most Technology. popular way to interact with people now is in like the shortest clip possible. And generally of mm-hmm. something that's not educational and probably like the opposite of educational, like something incredibly stupid. Um, TikTok. Yeah. TikTok, you know, shortening <laughs> Like, I don't even, I don't even know cause I don't use these things, but, um, short like reels or stories or whatever, like something that doesn't actually help anyone understand anything. Um, and like, yeah. this is how we're supposed to communicate now. I don't, I don't, I don't have any desire to communicate with people that way, but, um, it, it's training everyone to not, to not want to follow through. I think, um, on anything. Absolutely. There's no accountability. There's no accountability in that either. There's no one to listen to what you said. And then if you don't, you don't do what you said, there's no one to come back to you and follow up and say, Hey, Dusty, did you finish that task that you were working on? There's no accountability in anything. No one, no one achieves goals because no one's pushing them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where do you see Robert? What do you think the, the next five years of this industry is? Um, next five years, it, you know, making it through this, the, the, the times we're in right now with the part shortages and supply chain, um, 
I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of businesses might not make it through that. It's going to rely on being able to adapt, being able to adjust and figure things out. You can't just keep on doing what you always did because, you know, times are changing. But making it through yeah, that, um, you know, right now Ford is not even taking orders on Super Duties because they can't build them. Mm. And there's going to be a whole lot of older vehicles on the road. Um, so I think that's a lot of potential to, I mean, they're obviously going to need fixed. Um, the, the people that are using these trucks for work, um, you know, they're, they're going to want their trucks to work. I, I've been doing, I, I have some pretty good customers that I, you know, trust that I have done repairs that I typically wouldn't do on, you know, any, anyone's truck. Um, just to get those trucks, uh, you know, back on the road, making money for those customers. Yeah, uh, I had a truck come in that wouldn't regen because his fuel gauge, the, the sending unit, was broken. Uh, the truck had to be above ten percent. Uh, you know, I had to see ten percent or more in the fuel tank to regen, and it's all zero, so it wouldn't go into regen, and it went in limp mode. Um, so for that customer, I just stuck a resistor in there, so it read twenty five percent fuel. Yeah, I told him what I did, and I sent him down the road so he can. Which isn't so like the money. ideal solution, but when it's your only solution, then yeah, you know, what else? Well, you're able to get back to work for yep. sure. And, and I think that's do that for that customer. I mean, he appreciated it. You know, he he understands and yeah, got to do what we got to do. You know, yeah. So I think that's you know, outside of the box thinking. I think that's what it's going to take. Absolutely, I think that's going to be very important for you know the next five years. And then, you know, now they're coming out with 10-speed transmissions. They're coming out with CVTs. It's, it's hard to see. I haven't been into a 10-speed yet. I haven't had any customers that have had any fail uh, out of warranty. Um, so, I, you know, it's hard to, I guess, having the attitude that you can jump right in and figure it out is going to be pretty important. You know, it's no longer, uh, you know, two drums and a pump. It's a lot more than that in these transmissions. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and then, for sure. and then you still you still get those new ten speeds, and then you still have problems getting parts for them. Absolutely, so it's, it's here's, frustrating, you know. So. Here's the other problem that I see, and even I've seen it on the. If we're going to talk about the later model stuff, let's talk about CVTs for a minute. Um, I've seen this issue on the CVTs when they come out. the The cost of that transmission installed exceed the value of the vehicle. Vehicle. Also, you, yeah. What? Are you, we're, we're, we're already in a situation where families are struggling and their, their, their wages don't equal the inflation. And if they're driving something like that now, um, how do they afford to fix it? Yeah. You know, hopefully that there, there is a, there's a place in that market that guys like me that have, you know, a building full of milling centers can figure out how to, you know, remanufacture or make new parts for them to where we can make them more affordable to be able to service them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think having the knowledge and the tooling, people like you are in a great spot to make shift, make a shift if you have to into something else. You know, if you've already got the equipment, yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, Maybe shifting to a different material or different, whatever you're making. But I think like guys, like shops like yours are going to be really important. And then just having relationships, um, like shops having relationships with each other, you know, the manufacturers and yeah. the, um, the sourcers like Joe and the, um, you know, the sellers, there was a, I don't remember what the name of the company is, but, um, there's a 
shop in Pennsylvania manufacturing facility. They did something for automotive parts um, for OEMs. And when they were having supply issues, they ended up switching over to making um, canning jar lids instead of whatever like manufacturing, um, whatever auto parts it was. Um, And it's like, that may be what it takes, like find a need and figure out what, what tools and skills do I have that I can fill that need? Well, I've told my daughter, um, my daughter runs the manufacturing facility. Uh, she's the one that takes care of all the cat stuff now and keeps the milling centers running and everybody. She really, my wife and her, if it wasn't for those two, um, those parts probably wouldn't ever make it out the door because I'm busy on the other side of the street doing the transmission stuff now. But I told my daughter, you know, if we have to build ice trays, we'll make ice trays. I mean, whatever we have to do, we'll, yeah. just, we'll adapt, um, whatever, you know. If we got to build stainless steel toothbrushes, and that's what we'll do. Whatever we have to make to keep ships flying and and keep going, that's what we'll do. So, well, I don't think I have anything else here. I love talking to you guys, but I don't want to take up too much of your time either. Uh, thank you for having us come on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, David. Thank you, hey, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys want to have a, a conversation about anything else in the future, just let me know. I'd be happy to sit down and talk. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yep. See you guys. Have a good day. Have a good day. Have a good weekend.